This is the EPFR Exchange Podcast. All opinions expressed by Cam, Todd, and our podcast guests are solely of their own opinion and do not reflect the opinion of EPFR or Informa, its parent company. This podcast is for informational purposes only and should not be relied upon for investment decisions. Hi, everyone, and welcome to the EPFR Exchange Podcast. My name is Todd Willits, and I'm joined by EPFR's economist, Cameron Brandt. We'll walk you through what our teams were monitoring last week in the data EPFR tracks, as well as what we'll look for in the upcoming week. Cam, good morning. Are you excited for the presidential election tomorrow? (laughs) Uh, I don't know if excited is the right word, but uh, certainly for anyone with an economic bent, it may well be the gift that keeps on giving. So we'll talk about the U.S. in just a moment, but I want to start with Asia because it certainly seems like there's been a a tilt toward Asia last week. Both Japan equity and bond funds saw inflows, Asiax Japan ESG funds saw inflows, etc. Do you think this is a, a, a geographic rotation that we can bank on? Um, I do because it it's really been building up uh, for some time. Uh, it was uh, a resurgence of flows into China equity funds that started the uh, the rotation back towards the uh, emerging markets equity funds. Um, and China bond funds are playing an increasingly uh, prominent role uh, in lifting the f- overall flows. Uh, for emerging market bond funds. Uh, it's not particularly surprising, I think, that the, that, that eyes are on Asia. Um, China is one of the few uh, global markets that is expected to post a, a positive growth number for the year. Um, the general track record for uh, containing uh, COVID and keeping it contained uh, is, uh, is certainly in numerical terms in shining contrast to what's been going on uh, in many other emerging markets and uh, in Europe and North America. Um, so I think it's something of a COVID play, um, and it's also uh, a reflection of the fact that uh, China, which is central to the region's growth as well as a global player, uh, is on the rise again economically. You you mentioned EM. I think uh, a week or two ago, we had actually talked about perhaps an EM rotation that we were seeing. It looks like that remains alive and well, despite some difficult market conditions last week. Uh, Is that story still continuing? Are we seeing that rotation to EM strengthen? Um, I wouldn't say strengthen, uh, but it's being maintained, which in the current environment, I think is significant enough. Um, And they're still both on the equity and the bond fund sides, uh, scope, catch-up scope. Um, In uh, terms of their uh, AUM, uh, before the pandemic sell-off, both emerging markets equity and bond funds were hit much harder than the developed market peers, um, and they're still making up that ground despite the recent inflows. So I, I promised we would come back to the U.S. Um, 
obviously, <laughs> as I mentioned, tomorrow is is the the big day many have been waiting for. Although, uh, obviously, a lot of voting leading up to this week. Um, is are you seeing anything? We've talked about this in the past, but are you seeing anything in the sector funds that are foreshadowing the what's happening this week, or or maybe a, a longer term story? Yes, I, I um, what I've been seeing uh, in the sector funds actually over the past couple of weeks uh, is less motivated by any perceptions of how tomorrow's elections are going to play out. Though I will say, health healthcare sector fund flows continue to be a bit subdued, uh, given the prospect of a blue wave. Uh, and the resultant likelihood that the government will play a bigger role in the U.S. healthcare sector. Um, but what we've actually been seeing lately, and this has been building for a while, is very consistent flows into industrial and consumer goods sector funds. And uh, in asking around, what I'm hearing is that that is a reflection uh, of where a significant slice of investors uh, think uh, the action will be uh, as we navigate uh, the, the second wave of the COVID pandemic. So interesting, similar to the um, maybe the bump that we saw earlier in the year with technology and, and healthcare. Yeah, indeed. Um, you know, certainly one of the cases that I've had made to me is that. Uh, during the the initial wave, uh, people have you know stocked up on technology, and not only that, learned how to use it. Uh, during the second wave, um, there's only so many cell phones they can buy, but uh, people are both hungry for uh, and much more capable uh, of, of working out how to acquire. Um, material goods that will at least make uh, you know, any further lockdowns more comfortable. So the first wave was acquiring the technology and learning how to use it. Uh, during the second wave, cert there's certainly a number of managers who think we're going to see um, investors use the time and their new technology to catch up on deferred consumption. Uh, and for industrials, that will mean uh, you know a fair amount of restocking activity. For anyone who keeps an eye on real estate markets, I think that's been an incredibly hot area, at least for residential, uh, not commercial, in the past uh, eight months. Is it is there anything any of that spilling over into the the fund flows or the allocations we're seeing? Um, we've certainly seen uh, real estate sector funds uh, attract some money, uh, somewhat on a week-on-week-off basis. Um, I would add that uh, in addition to the um, really quite striking activity um, uh, at the home level, there's been significant demand, certainly here in the U.S., uh, for what you would call industrial real estate, uh, you know, that being driven by the assumption that uh, one of the longer-term consequences of the pandemic will be the shortening of supply chains, the reshoring of, of uh, a certain degree of capacity. So, so the real estate uh, 
the positive areas of the real estate universe aren't actually confined uh, to residential housing. So maybe a bit of uh, rotation away from commercial towards those uh, very unique. Yes, areas. commercial is, <laughs> is an, uh, is, remains under pressure, but uh, other areas uh, have, have proved resilient. Uh, and of course, government policy uh, always does tend to favor real estate. Um, if you want a quick hit, uh, a quick way to make uh, the individual uh, feel better about how things are going, uh, pumping up the value of their home or, or, or making it easier for them to get one, uh, is frequently hauled out of the uh, policy toolkit. So speaking of this t- policy toolkit, uh, is there more stimulus coming for Europe? Because it sure seems like bond investors think so. Yeah, I think bond investors think so. And in, unless you think that uh, Christine Lagarde minces her words, uh, I think they're right. Uh, to believe that uh, by December, if not uh, a bit earlier, uh, the European Central Bank will uh, be pumping up the volume on its existing suite of tools being deployed through the current quantitative easing program. you know, there, though Europe showed more resolution on the fiscal front this time around than they did when confronting the great financial crisis, uh, there's still a sort of classic group lag uh, effect uh, going on. And as it stands, the money from the much ballyhooed rescue fund uh, still isn't really flowing and probably won't till we're sort of reasonably well into the first quarter of next year. So there's a there's a sort of dangerous bridging period, and uh, I think the European Central Bank is aware of that, and uh, you know ready once again to step in. So Cam, this week as you are sitting listening to uh, stories about mail-in ballots, hanging chads, and recounts, what are you and the team going hmm. to be looking for in, in the data? Well, as a matter of fact. Uh, Uh, We're going to try and tune out uh, those hanging chads. Uh, And we're taking uh, a slightly deeper look at Japan uh, this week. Uh, It's still the world's third largest economy, but uh, it seems to have sort of somewhat dropped off the radar, uh, many people's radar. Um, And we are actually taking more of a quantitative than qualitative approach to the data we have on Japan uh, at the moment, uh, looking to see if we can both identify and capitalize on uh, the signals that that may be there related to the Bank of Japan's ever-growing footprint in both the ETF and the uh, Japanese government bond markets. Um, That so the sheer magnitude of their holdings has somewhat uh, dampened both markets. Uh, you talk about fighting City Hall, um, but uh, our quant team has isolated some signals that they think may prove yeah, actionable and, and allow people to uh, make more money even when uh, the broad macro trends are rather soggy. And that's going to be a quant's corner this week? 
I don't think it'll be this week, but it will be sort of certainly by by mid-November. We should have some preliminary uh, work done and 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 posted up in Quantum great. Square. And just as a reminder for those listeners, we do a regular quantitative look at a specific uh, narrative. Uh, so definitely sign up for those alerts. You can sign up on our website for those. Cam, thank you and have a great week. <laughs> you too. Cheers. As always, you can find EPFR on LinkedIn and on Twitter at EPFR. To sign up to receive our EPFR daily exchange research we spoke about here, you can visit financialintelligence.informa.com. For questions or to suggest a topic for an upcoming podcast, you can email EPFR Exchange Podcast at informa.com. Okay.